welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics, a pretty okay podcast. And I can guarantee you that tonight's also going to be pretty okay. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, guys, what's going on? It is Jason. Yeah, pretty okay about sums it up. <laughs> That's what we do here. Yeah, I, we've been having, I've been having some mic issues, apparently, the past couple weeks. Um, I think we've got them sorted out. But, you know, we're only pretty okay, so we won't find out until after we've done it. It's true. Yep, that's how yeah. we roll. Um, I think, I feel like the theme of a lot of, of tonight or today's or whenever you're listening's episode is that you guys are spoiling me. I, if you have seen our unboxing videos lately, the riveted, you guys are just the most awesome people ever. So since Jason wants to make this like an official like segment, I want to start by talking about my fickle favorites. So I, if you, if you've seen the unboxing, if you haven't check out our YouTube channel, like subscribe. And there is a video of me unboxing from Mark and Wendy Patoka. I hope I'm saying your name right. If I'm not, remember this is an only pretty okay podcast. Um, who sent me a box of Speedway orange slices. And they're amazing. Let me tell you. And like you can all you can just tell the difference. They are like hard. Like not but not in a bad way. They're, that makes them like toothsome. Cause like the one the other ones that I was trying to find in like the other stores, they're like real soft and kind of mushy. And I just don't want that from an orange slice. I don't want that. The Speedway orange slices are great. And so I, I can't say thank you enough to Mark and his wife for thinking of me while you were visiting your family uh, in Tennessee because I still have not been able to find orange slices around here. Yeah. Um, and I think the word you said toothsome, but I think you mean al dente. That's what it means. I know, but I like al dente better. I like toothsome. To the tooth. That's what al dente means. I just can't say toothsome because it sounds, <laughs> sounds sounds weird. So I'll just roll with al dente. Well, and then interestingly enough, I think because we posted the unboxing video about how excited it was about these orange slices, Speedway did respond and asked for our speedy card and they gave me points to buy more orange slices. That you can't find. Which I greatly appreciate. However, I cannot find said orange slices <laughs> around here where I live. <laughs> so, uh, Speedway, I appreciate the gesture. And I would love to use those points to buy orange slices. Um, but I haven't been able to find them. But Mark and Wendy to the rescue. You guys are definitely my favorite. But my favorite is Fickle. So I will still love you, even if I talk about other people on the podcast that also are my favorites. But Jason's making me do this. <laughs> yeah. So next week, your her favorite will be um, gone and moved on to somebody else. You guys can still be my favorite next week. But they won't be. You don't know. <laughs> so You're right. I don't know. You're right. You don't. Let's talk about news and move on from this made-up segment that Jason makes me choose sides. Um, and so there are a couple interesting things on Kickstarter. I picked some some different ones. Well, one of them is like totally up my alley. The other ones are a little bit different. So the first one is kind of, it's a mostly card-based game called Recipe for Disaster. Um, so it's a, the subtitle is A Card Game of Culinary Chaos. So this is like kind of an interesting 
mix of different types of mechanics. So you have these cards in your hand and they're different ingredients. And there's a card out in front of everyone that says, hey, this is the dish you're supposed to be making. So maybe it's pizza and it'll show a picture of pizza and it'll say, okay, here's four ingredients the pizza needs. It needs dough, it needs tomatoes, it needs cheese, and it has, you know, pork products like pepperoni, pork on it. So in order to, you know, complete that card properly, you need to have dough and pork and um, tomato and cheese. Well, you may not always have those cards in your hand. So you can try to get them from the market. So there's a market that's out there face up. You actually have to get rid of cards. I think two cards in order to take one of the cards from the market. Or you can go to check the refrigerator and you discard one card to take a mystery card from the refrigerator. Or you can dumpster dive, which is where all the cards that people have been discarding go into this. It's actually a really cute little dumpster, cardboard dumpster. That you can, you have, I think, 30 seconds or something to shift through the dumpster to pull out a particular ingredient. So you can actually look at them and you don't have to discard a card. However, after you dig in the dumpster, you roll a, a D6, which is the health inspector die. So if you roll a one or two, the health inspector comes and you you fail the inspection and you don't get the ingredient just bad stuff happens so like that's like the first kind of phase like you're trying to build these ingredients and so you may not get the right ingredients so then in the second phase you have to sell the four ingredients that you have so let's say instead of um tomatoes you didn't have tomato so maybe you had spinach so then you have to kind of do this like creative storytelling snake oil kind of thing where you talk about your pizza that does not have the traditional tomato sauce, but it has this healthier green spinach kind of version of sauce that really works well with this pork. Cause we're not going with sausage with spinach. We're going to go with like a pork loin. So it's like an elevated pizza with this kind of a, a, a spinach tomatillo sauce without actual tomatoes, but spinach only, and then with this this nice pork loin. So when you're pitching your story, does someone have to vote on this? Yes. Oh, man, it sounded so good up until this part. <laughs> I knew you would hate that. Oh. But yeah. Like everything you said before that, I was like, man, this sounds awesome. And then you said snake oil, immediately vomited <laughs> in my mouth a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. So then like you get points for having the correct ingredients and then you also get stars from the people that vote for your dish that you're pitching them to which some people really like that kind of game and it is fun and storytelling and you're being creative and um also if you like food i think it's really interesting because you can think about ways to sell these different ingredients that are substitutes for what's on the card to get people to really go along with it and make it sound appetizing but I could see where some people who don't like that aspect would not like this game. But if that sounds like fun to you, which I think it does, this is Recipe for Disaster. There are six days left at the time of this podcast airing, and it's 42 bucks. 42 bucks? You get, um, like, order. So you get 135 ingredient cards. You get 30 order cards, 30 review tokens, a premium box lid, a dumpster, which actually is the box bottom, which I think is cool. You get a bell. Oh, man, any game with... Not only does it have a storytelling, it has a bell, too. I love oh, the man. bell. You get a die, oh. you get a timer, you get strike eight strike cards, and you get 14 golden turnip tokens. So there's kind of a lot to the game. But, yeah, it is 
it is basically a card game for 42 bucks, which is kind of a lot. Yeah, plus shipping. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. All right, cool. But the concept seems kind of fun. I think I would like it. I know you wouldn't. Yeah, you can play this one right after you're playing um, Forgotten Waters and Sherlock Holmes oh Consulting Detective. All good games. All awesome games. Um, so the next one is much more in Wheelhouse, since you mentioned Consulting Detective. And it's called <laughs> The Original Sherlock oh, yeah. Holmes and the Baker Street Irregulars. So this is not this is not the new consulting detective one, right? Just happens to have the same it kind just of happens, uh, name. Yes, apparently the Baker Street Irregulars are are the hot the new hotness right now in gaming <laughs> because I have seen Sherlock Holmes and Baker Street Irregulars everywhere. Yeah, apparently. Coincidence? I think not. So the cool thing about this this is it's a Sherlock Holmes game, but it's not really about deduction. It's a card drafting game, and it's kind of like. Um, I want to say like money management game. So the Baker Street, um, like Irregulars, which is the homeless network that Sherlock Holmes uses a lot to get information from if you're unfamiliar with the Sherlock Holmes canon. Baker Street Irregulars are actually in like coin form in this game. So they're your currency in a way. So it's not like you're trading people, but what you're going to do is you're drafting cards as they go around the table and the cards are going to have different types of evidence on them. And so and you've got personal objectives that you're trying to meet too as well. Um, so you can get witnesses. You can get um, witnesses, villains, plot um, evidence as in your draft. Inspector cards also. So there's people that can help you get other things. There's plot twist cards that come out and kind of change how you do the drafting phase. But like it kind of works in, I think, four rounds. So you're trying to get evidence you're drafting all these cards. Then to play them out of your hand, you have to use your Baker Street Irregulars, whatever the card says that you need. So maybe to gather evidence, you have to send out two of your Baker Street Irregulars. So that currency is what you're going to be using. And if you can get matching evidence for the different villains, you can make arrests. So those arrests are giving you points. Um, And then at the end of the round, you get to choose like a bonus card from like Sherlock and Watson and Wiggins, and they give you a power for the next round. You get to pick which card that you get to use for the next round in order of who has the most Baker Street regulars left after the end of the round. So you really have to be careful on how you use that currency um, because you want to get some of the better powers. And if there's more than three people, three people playing, you might not get one if you don't have enough people left. Um, and then you can get like some status like at the end of four rounds you total up all the points that you've gotten on the villains arrested and some of the like um set collection objective scores that you have in those like the personal objective things um and then the person with the most points wins so it's kind of a different spin on sherlock holmes but it still has like that some of those great canon features and i think it's honestly really thematic in okay i have to in order to get a witness or in order to you know have an inspector come help me i've got to send out these irregulars in my network and so the idea of using them as currency i think is really kind of genius so there are eight days left on that kickstarter if you're interested to check that out and it's 39 bucks which is actually a pretty good deal considering the recipe for disaster game yeah uh, yeah i was gonna say this game sounds a billion times better than that top one and is three dollars cheaper yeah, and you get do get a lot of stuff in it for that, like a lot of different card sets and stuff. And I mean, they funded in like 
a couple like 72 hours less than 72 hours so there's like a commemorative coin that you can get to use with it and like all this kind of stuff so it seems pretty fun like it seems like a Sherlock Holmes game for people that aren't deduction people which what is what Holmes games tend to be like because that's what he's famous for yeah that's what I was getting ready to say it's nice to have that IP and the theme on a game that's not what you expect everybody expects hey you're trying to figure something out because that's what Sherlock Holmes did it'd be nice to just put it on like a a Yahtzee game where you're just rolling to get like a bunch of Sherlock Holmes and Watson faces or whatever because no one would expect that that's true I think it'd be cool to do like a classic Euro where you are Sherlock, you're employing your Baker Street irregulars. So you've got these workers, much like in this, but you have it's on a physical board where you say, oh, I'm going to send someone to Scotland Yard so I can get a card for a set collection. Or I'm going to send someone over to Irene Adler's place because she's got something that can, like, she's subversive, so maybe I can steal something from somebody else. I think that would be really cool. Sounds like a Vitale asserted game. Maybe we should put a bug. We should put a bug in his ear. Uncle Vitale. I really, but, but Sherlock Holmes is not from... Um, Portugal, so I don't think Uncle Vital's interested. That's true, and he he does drink wine though, so Vital does love wine. <laughs> That's not all that Sherlock is really known for. He's actually British. <laughs> he probably drinks sherry. Number one. That's true. And he's right. sm- dumb idea. Smoked a pipe and did some cocaine, so or heroin or something. So I don't feel like. We need yeah, to... that's that's not Vital. That's not a link to Portugal at all. That's true. Moving on. Yeah. So my last item is something kind of out there for us, and I know Jason already turned his nose up at this. Um, but my last one is an RPG, but it's a really interesting concept for one. So it's called Jiangxi Blood in the Banquet Hall, and so this is an RPG where you're playing as a Chinese immigrant family in America in the 1920s. And so as if that isn't hard enough. So during the day, you're running a Chinese restaurant because you're trying to make a living. So there are certain cards that come out from the GM about things you need to do before the restaurant opens. So you've got to maybe simmer the soup. you got to decorate the restaurant. you got to clean table linens, whatever. There's these different things that are assigned. And so then there's usually like a leader of the family because it's three generations of a family that you're playing that you can possibly play as. So people have to complete these tasks before the day opens. and They take different amounts of time. And then during the day, like you're running a restaurant and you have to deal with, you know, potential like racism, um, gang violence, whatever things that happen to people um, of foreign origin in the 1920s. Which is crazy and I think really cool to do that. But not and then also like at the beginning you at the beginning of the day you kinda of, you roll a die and to determine if you had how your this the day before affected you. If you had maybe nightmares or good dreams, and so you get cards again based on that. So this is like a, a little bit of a mix between an RPG and a board game because you're getting there's card driven um, actions happening and, and consequences. And there's like a board for the restaurant table um, where if things are completed, they go in certain places. And if they're not, they go in other places and they give you a consequence for the day. Um, but as, as interesting as that is, then there's a whole night phase where you've got Jiangxi running around, which are hopping vampires. So you are fighting to make a living in 1920s America and avoid um, like racist violence. And then at night you're trying not to get your blood sucked out so you can't be turned into a vampire. I, what a crazy concept for an RPG. I just thought, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. It's um, by What Ink Games, really small uh, 
gaming company and they really are dedicated to the idea of bringing you new interesting ideas and i gotta say this is a really new kind of strange interesting idea but i kind of love it yeah it sounds great oh my I, gosh i actually thought Jiangxi or however you say it was a place i didn't realize they were vampires i don't, i didn't do a lot of research into Jiangxi, but it's kind of like a it's it's in chinese like folklore that they're like vampires or even like zombie like it's it's reanimated corpses essentially in in chinese folklore and legend so you're fighting them and then also like there's a chance for you in this game to become a jiangshi if you encounter too many of them and have these things happen to you so nice yeah i just think i want to be i want to be a jiangshi they sound cool yeah it's it's pretty cool i think it's really interesting it's a whole like horror kind of fiction thing in um chinese folklore especially cantonese so if you i was looking up wet ink games on the good old interwebs and it looks like they had another rpg with a weird theme called never going home it's a horror haunted trenches during the first world war rpg so it's like mixing the first world war with like the same kind of thing like scary crazy terror stuff which is weird they do, they do interesting themes, apparently. They take historical things and then twist them around, which sounds pretty cool. Yeah, like, I think that's just, that's really interesting. Like, it's taking, it's like doing social commentary and also mixing it with, like, horror genre. I, yeah, I, it is kind of like that, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of a cool, interesting way to do it. So if you're looking for something new, they said that can be played as, like, a one-shot or even, like, a small mini-series. Um, check this out, Jiangxi Blood in the Banquet Hall. It's got 26 days left on Kickstarter, so definitely time to read through it, think about it. And the full game is 65 bucks. If you just want, like, a print-and-play version, um, that is much, that is cheaper. 20 bucks. So I, get, I guess my struggle with these... When you're getting the full game, what are you getting? Do you get, like, tokens and dice and stuff, too? Yes. Because it's just an RPG, right? Yes. So with this one, you're getting cards. Um, you're getting dice. You're getting, um, like, that. Like standees and stuff. A rule book, a scenario book, um, 24 cards, the Hmong cards for the dreams, the Jiangxi cards, stuff that you can be affected by, um, a gold die, a red die, a white die. You get a pad of spirit paper, you get your character sheets, and you get your restaurant board. Okay. I was going to say, because I thought it was just going to be like a book, like in D&D, you know, the Monster Book of Man, whatever that one is, Monster Book of Monsters, whatever they do on D&D. I thought it was going to be something like that for $65, and that just seemed really outrageous. But. No, no. It's like boards and decks of cards and dice and all kinds of stuff. And yes, I know Monster Book of Monsters is from Harry Potter, and I don't care, because that's how much I care about what that book is really called. Gosh. But it's cool. Like, I think it's cool, because I, I just think even RPG about running a Chinese restaurant would be really cool. Um, like, that that's tele, that telenovela um, RPG we talked about a while ago. But this then also mixes, like, zombie vampires into it, which is even cooler so yeah Jiangxi blood in the banquet hall cool i know you're not interested no not at all <laughs> fine talk about what you are interested in all right so this week we did play three games together um one of them katie played for the first time and it's my like fourth time playing because i played once by my or twice by myself and once with actual real people and then this time together but the first game we we're going to talk about is a kind of oldish game i think maybe a couple years three years 
and it's from Stronghold Games, and it's called The Pursuit of Happiness. So I, I was actually watching Tom Vassell's video on, on this before we played it, and he actually said it was like gamer life, which mm-hmm. I think I, you know, I think that's an apt description of this game. So what this game is, is it's a worker placement game. You're using these little like hourglass markers as your workers, and you're going to go try to have the happiest life that you can. You're going to go take on a job. You might date somebody. You might um, buy a nice yacht. You might get in a band. You may learn how to be an artist. You might go get a patent. You might get a promotion at a job. You might have to take on some overtime and stress yourself out. Um, you might date two people, which is also stressful, and that's not make doesn't make for a happy life. But the goal is to have the happiest life by the time you hit old age, because as you age, you're going to start getting more stress, and once your stress tracker hits a certain level, you're going to die, which basically just means the game is over. So you're going, there's going to be like eight or nine rounds, depending on how well you're managing your stress in the, your younger days, determines how long you're going to stay alive. So just a worker placement game with a really cool theme, some interesting like, I don't know, contract fulfillment type stuff. You're cashing your resources to buy the things that you need to buy. So yeah, I dig it. Now I'll let Katie talk about it and then yeah, we'll move on. Um, I I liked it. I, it was surprisingly stressful from a playing point of view. Um, more so than I thought it would be, actually. Because, again, it's one of those games where you really don't get many choices. You can you can do so few things. And that's the worst because <laughs> you need to do all kinds of things in order to be really successful. And so I was, like, kind of frustrated with it because I'm like, gosh, I really can't get my life together. Like, I wanted to have a good job. And I want, and part of it is probably my own crazy, like, approach to my real life, where I was like, well, I need to get a job. And then I definitely need to get promoted. But I also want to do these side projects. And of course, I need to not just date somebody, we need to be in a relationship and then like, start a family, because that makes sense. There's goals for that. You can't possibly do that. Like you, you can't. That's true. Yeah. Because one thing we didn't talk about, I don't know if you're getting ready to talk about it. But as you get in a relationship, or you get a better job, you're going to lose some of your markers because it's taking up more time during your life. So, you know, if I get a good job and I'm married and I have kids, I'm going to lose like three of my six markers. So I have half as much time to do three times as much stuff as I needed to. So you're really trying to juggle, you know, when am I going to take this job? Do I want to get married? Am I just going to date? You know, all that type of thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of stressful. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, and I just, so for me, I was like, I'm so frustrated because I want to do these things, but I just can't. Like, they're just, and once you start getting stressed out, there's like hardly any way to get unstressed, which I think is is, yeah. is like intellectually amazingly thematic. And I think a lot of this really is um, more thematic than I would like it to be, to be a, like a fun, casual game. Um, <laughs> that's true. Most people don't want to play a game where you die at the end. <laughs> well, right. And that's the other thing. As you age, like things get more stressful, which I think is sort of true in some ways, but I feel like, I feel like there should be some benefits to getting older because I think that that's true in life. There should be some benefits as you age in that game. They don't have it. That's like the one thing I don't like. Um, but also then I felt stressed out because I'm like, I can't survive. Like there are three stages of aging and I died in the first one. And I was like, well, crap, because I, I got stressed in my regular life and I couldn't, 
it's really difficult to move from one level of stress back down. There are hardly any cards that allow for that, which I feel like is a little bit too deterministic for me. Um, but since I accomplished so much in my life up to that point that I died early, I still was able to win. So You did win. Yeah, I had a whole other round, an extra round. And I thought I was going to do something, but nope, still lost. So I, I guess I would like to play it again now that I've played it once. Because at first I was like, I don't know about this. Because it was so kind of stressful. And I felt like it, um, like, since I screwed up early, that I was kind of toast. But I do like the fact that since I used my time differently and used my stress differently, I was able to accomplish a lot of projects and do a lot of things. Um, So it allowed me to be able to get the to get the happiness points, really. So while my life may have been short, it was extremely fulfilling and it allowed me to win. So I kind of like that. I think you said you lived fast and died young or something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I I obviously did well because your points are happiness points. And I obviously was much happier, even though I lived 10 years shorter than Jason. So Yeah, that's true, which will not happen in real life, but... No, it won't. I mean, you, you'll be happy, but you're not going to die before me. That That's what I meant. Like, not the happiness part. All right. So, yeah, that's a cool game. Uh, it's it's an interesting theme. It's not a theme that you see a ton, which is kind of nice. So, yeah, even though it might not be the greatest game, it was still fun. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's kind of it's kind of a neat thing to play. It, it, it is like gamer life in a lot of ways. And so I think it's definitely worth a go. And I'm interested to see how it changes with more plays. And I'm also interested to see how it plays with more people because I feel like with two, it really narrowed down my options. Like I wanted to um, get, get a job kind of early to generate income. Well, only two jobs come out with two people and the two jobs that came out were like second level jobs. So I couldn't possibly have enough to get those jobs starting out. And so I feel like if there had been, you know, three or four people, those extra couple of cards, I think, might have upped the variety of jobs, of significant others, the opportunity to advance in jobs, those kind of things. So I, I'd like to try it with more people. Yep, I agree with all of that. Okay, so I want to talk about a game that Jason has already talked about, but I hadn't played it yet. And um, maybe you just... And full, dis- full disclosure before you jump in here, we didn't finish the game. That's true. So the thoughts are like, I don't know, we were probably 75% of the way done, but... I mean, it's still mostly all of the game, but I just wanted to say that so in case you had to play the full game to get a full idea of what's going on. So the game is Terraforming Mars, um, which I have avoided. Like the plague. <laughs> yeah, you you were pretty anti this game. Because it's a space game and the artwork on the box is ugly. Okay. Yeah. Is that? I mean, all the artwork in this game is terrible. <laughs> right. Is that judgmental <laughs> yeah. and vain? Sure. Do I care? Not really. Because I know that about myself. I don't like games that have anything to do with space. I don't care about the theme, which I find ironic because I love, like, space-themed TV shows. I'm a Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, all, I love all those things. Um, but I just don't want to play space-themed games. So I w- everyone's like, yes, it's an engine builder, Katie. You're going to love it. You love engine builders, whatever. And after playing it, I don't know that I love it. But I I did like it. I had a pretty good engine already started. I felt like I was yeah, doing well. Um, and I I would have liked to finish that game because I know I would have won and beat Brandon, which is always my goal. Oh, yeah. He was he was floundering. <laughs> you were going to crush him for sure. He wasn't doing any greenery. He wasn't building anything on the board. <laughs> so if I don't. I said that you've talked about it before, but I honestly don't 
know if we talked about it in the games played section, but maybe in like a list or something. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I thought I talked about it, but I mean, I can give a quick rundown of what the game is if you want me to. I can. So obviously, we're trying to terraform Mars. We want to make Mars able for us to live on. So you're going to do things to make it habitable. So you want to increase the temperature there. You want to increase the oxygen level. We're going to put get plants on there. We're going to get water on there. Those are all need to sustain life. Um, if you're feeling spicy, you can get some cities out there, some mining going on. And so you're doing this by drafting, you're choosing cards for your hand each round and then paying money to play those and or resources, money and resources, to play those cards to do different things. And what I really like about this game is there are different types of cards. There are like one shot cards that give you something, either an ability or, you know, maybe it allows you to place a tile or a greenery or whatever, move up a production number, something. Um, or there's these recurring cards, which I really also happen to enjoy, that every time maybe someone does something, you get something or allow you to collect items on a card like microbes or um, animals that will give you points at the end. Um, there's just lots of possibilities with this as I'm just starting to see, even just playing a little bit of like a majority of the game, three quarters of the game. Um, and I feel like there are different paths to winning because again, not everyone's got the same card. You're starting out with the different corporations that give you kind of different boosts, um, and player powers, which I also really enjoy if it weren't so ugly. And if it could be about, having a farm on earth or settling a town. And I'm like, oh, well, we need wells in the town. And, oh, we need to provide green space in the town. We need to build buildings. We need to build a saloon. We can mine for gold here. We can mine for, we can drill for oil. Like, why can't we do that? Why does it have to be about space? But I- I don't know. I, yeah, I think space is just easy. It's easy to do from like an art perspective because you just do a lot of black- and in the, in this case, orange red. <laughs> but I definitely, I, mean, yeah. I definitely liked it enough that I, I really, I was thinking the other night when we were talking about playing a game. I actually wanted to ask you if you want to play this at two because I want to see how it functioned at two, and I wanted to play it again. So you should have. It would have been awesome at two. It would have been probably faster because I've only played it at four and then the three, and I'm sure two will give you the same kind of feels, just way faster because there's less people there. Yeah, but like some of the cards I had are triggered by other people doing actions. Oh, that's true. So you get less that's of true. that. So there's like a balance to that, which I mean, you just refine as you play. But I would definitely like to play yeah. it again. But we didn't play that one because we wanted to play a different game. And the that's game true. that we did play is my number one game of all time. At least it was last year when I did my top 100. It was until the last this time we played it. Oh, don't I can't. I'm just going to talk about the game. <laughs> and that game is <laughs> Grand Austria Hotel. All right. Before we get into this, I just got to tell everybody that I won the game. Okay. So all you guys who think I can't win games, I won this one pretty handily. I played so bad. I don't know. Everything conspired against me. Like all the bad dice came out. Like I had this, the the board I had didn't match up with the, the colors of guests coming out. I dreamt about it last night and I woke up this morning. and was like, I've got to play rematch. I've got to be vindicated. You'll <laughs> beat me next time for sure. Like I. <laughs> I played, I, it went so badly that I questioned if I can win games, if I'm smart. Like, it, that's how demoralizing it was. So, Grand Austrian Hotel, if you don't know, um, <laughs> is a game where you run a hotel. At your hotel, you are drafting guests 
to come to your hotel. Those guests um, come and sit in a cafe at your hotel and they have orders that they have to, they want fulfilled before they go up to their rooms. And so you are balancing opening rooms, fulfilling orders, um, keeping like the hotel manager overseer happy. The emperor. emperor. The emperor happy by um, dice drafting. And the number of dice of certain numbers allow you, tell you how many, how much of each action, the extent to the action you can do. So there are actions that will get you um, different types of food, different types of drink that'll open um, rooms for guests that'll give you money or points in the emperor track that will help you hire employees that make things easier. And then you kind of got a random wild for sixes that you can pay to use. Um, Money is tight. So tight. Um, there's a lot to juggle with it, but I love this game. Another reason why I absolutely love this game is because me being the spoiled spoiled princess that I am, one of my super favorite people in the world, Mike Picorni, Fan Zero, sent me these deluxified pieces for this game. And they are awesome. There's little bottles of wine because your guests sometimes want wine. There's little coffee cups for their coffee, their black coffee. There's little strudels, little brown strudels. There's little cakes with icing on them. Like, it's so cute. Oh my gosh. I think I was so distracted by the cuteness of the components that I lost real bad. But. Sure. Yeah, you can use that excuse. Normally, it's just colored cubes, which Jason is totally fine with. But I loved the shape fun little things. And oh my gosh, it made my day. There is an unboxing video of that that will be happening. It'll be posted by the time this episode drops. So you can see the utter joy on my face when I open these things. And you can see how amazingly cute and awesome they are. So, Mike, you're my favorite. I mean, Mark and Wendy, you're my favorites, too. Oh, my gosh. You guys are all my favorites. I can't handle it. (laughs) There was also a cool trash can that came, too. The trash can's dope. I also definitely highlight that in the video. Yeah, because in the game, you can, like, trash a die. There's, like, this little cardboard trash can. You put a die on it if you want to, like, pass and re-roll to have better actions. But now we have a 3D-printed trash can. You can actually put the die in, which is really cool. It is really cool. So do you have any other thoughts about Grand Austria? I still love the game. Uh, yeah, and I yeah, I really like this game a lot, um, even though I'm terrible at it normally. But the, the thing I like about it is that you want to do, like, four actions every round. But you get to do two. Right. So it's just one of those games where over the course of the game, you're taking 14 actions. You don't have enough money to do anything. The emperor's coming around and he's slapping you around. It's just it's just rough all around. But I like it. The Italians. I mean, we haven't played a game from the Italians in like five minutes. So we had to play one. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah. So, so this game is good. It's probably not my favorite game from the Italians, but it's definitely up there. I like it a lot. And everything you said, I agree with. All right. So that's the games we played. And in a rather interesting segue, as if you haven't noticed, I am crazy about fun, cool, cute, interesting, tactile components in games. I love them. Love them. Oh, yeah, me too. That's my favorite thing. No, Jason couldn't care. Just put some cardboard chits out there. He's fine. (laughs) So that's why this um, for this episode, we wanted to talk about our favorite game components. And for me, gosh, I have a billion this list was so hard to only come up with three and I can probably talk about 20 um, 
honorable mentions after we're done of components that I love because for me that is just like the extra thing like yes I like a good game and yes I played ugly boring cubes and cardboard games because that's what Jason really likes and we're not that picky about that but when a game has really interesting cool like components like I lose my mind so these are the top three like favorite game components and I yes. already want to change them a billion times, but I'm still going with that. So Katie didn't have, she had a problem just narrowing it down to three. I had a problem just coming up with three. <laughs> so I have three. They're okay. Uh, they could all be cubes, but that's fine. Oh, but I do have three. So I didn't want you guys to think that I didn't have any because I can find three things that I like in games that aren't cubes and chits. Okay. I did it. I'm just, it was tough. So now Katie can go on. I actually picked like, two or three of them so <laughs> you did you really did <laughs> these are like katie's honorable mentions these are that my I do on top my list. six really <laughs> um so the first one i want to talk about is a component in a game that's really unnecessary and i actually like a lot for of um first player markers i think a lot of games can do fun cool completely unnecessary but interesting stuff with first player markers and so one of my favorite first player markers I have more. I'll talk about them later. Is from Raja of the Ganges. And number one, that game doesn't get talked about enough. It is awesome. If you like dice placement and all worker placement, do yourself a favor. Get this game. So Raja of the Ganges, the first player um, token is actually this elephant, a little cardboard elephant that you assemble. But once he's assembled, he stays together really well. He's a little 3D elephant. He's so cute. You can make him run around. Okay, I make him run around on my player board. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's rephrase. We don't all do that, but yes. <laughs> I pretty much play with all the first player markers. So when I'm first player, <laughs> I get really excited because I get to play with them. So, um, and he's just really ornate, kind of um, Indian. Um, like decorated elephant that you make and he's a little 3D guy and I just love to play with him. So my first pick is the Rajas of the Ganges elephant. Should I explain how to play the game or am I just talking about the game? No, I think we're just going to talk about components. Um, we talk about the games a lot. We can just talk about the cool components. This one. Yeah, I like the elephant too. It's silly. It's completely unnecessary. But it, it is nice to have one of those first player markers that you can like hold. It's not just flat that sits on the ground. Like, I, I do agree with that. That is kind of nice. Thank you. And I and I realize, like, and I also think that it's nice when they um, are more than just, like, a flat token or paper or cardboard or whatever, because then you can actually see them. Sometimes I feel like the first player marker gets lost on oh, the table true. when they're not some kind of actual larger three-dimensional kind of representation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Good point. All right. So the first one I want to talk about is from a game called Black Fleet which is a little pirate pick-up-and-deliver game. And what I wanted to talk about is kind of a twofer, and it is going to be the boats and the coins. So when you get this game, it comes with metal coins out of the box. Granted, there's only like 15 of them, but still, it's metal coins. And it has these really like chunky plastic boats that you can store goods in to travel. So if I go to an island, I pick up a good, I can put the good in my boat. And then I can have a pirate come along, and I can steal a good from someone's boat and put it in my pirate boat. I don't know. I really like that. It's dumb. Like, I don't know. It's it's basically a mini and it's a toy, but I like it. It's it's satisfying to put the little cubes in the boat and move the boat back to the island and deliver the goods. It it could just go on my board and then I could move my boat and then when I get there, take the the cubes off my board. But having it in the boat is fun and it's thematic because it's a pirate game. So 
My first one is Black Fleet's Boats and Coins. Boats and Coins. Boats and Coins. I love the Boats and Coins in this. Like, and, and the coins in this, they're metal, and they come with the game, like, standard. And we got this game, like, wicked cheap. I don't think you can, I don't, I think it's out of print now. Probably, yeah. Actually, I just. Because they sold it wicked cheap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because um, I was looking at Amazon, and it was, like, crazy expensive. But maybe you can find it on the geek market for cheaper. But it comes, like, these coins come standard. And they're metal, but they're, like, real thin. And they've got, like, raised imprinting on them. Oh, yeah, it's expensive on the geek market. It's, like, 100 bucks. Whoa. Yeah, I know, man. We got some hot stuff. Sorry, guys. This game is awesome. Yeah, and, like, people rag on this game because, yes, it's a light game. It's pretty light. But it's also really fun. So just because something's light and it's not super complex doesn't mean it can't be fun. Right. And so it's got these great components in it, too, for being a light, fun game. Like, those coins, like, they feel so good in your hand. And I'm always playing with them and, like, clicking them around and feeling them. And then the boats, like, you you get two separate boats. You have a pirate boat and then you have your merchant ship. And they look different. And the merchant ship can hold three cubes physically on it, which I love. The only thing would be better is if the goods were shaped like goods. Like the goods they are. That would make it hard to put on the boat. It would make it hard to put on the boat, but that would be awesome. Anyway, (laughs) but as they are, the the boats fit the cubes in. They fit in. They're really well snug. They don't fall out. They look great. Your little pirate boats can like come along and they have a little cannon on the front, which looks cute, and they can take one of those cubes and physically hold it. Like it just um, and then moving those boats around, they're not tiny and they're not oversized. Like they just really are good sizes. They're fun to move and work with. Um, and just for like a little fun game, like I think I think it's great. It's a good choice. I'm glad you chose it because I also love it. <laughs> oh, one other thing that I, I could put in there, the in, the inserts nice too. I don't know if we're talking about inserts, but mm. the inserts is cool, like skull and crossbones that you can just throw all the boats in. It's not like you know perfect fitting, but it looks cool. So I'll just add tack that on there too. I clearly don't unpack or put the game away very often because I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that sounds great. And I'm going to really be generous with letting the insert be part of this because my next one is like... Yeah, I was going to say, you can't say anything to me for that last thing. (laughs) I mean, I could replace it with something else, but... um, No, it's fine. Another kind of component to a game, it's not even... I mean, yes, it's a physical component, but I love the different rooms in Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And like... I don't mean the shapes because they're all just like big circles, little circles, big squares, little squares. Right. Yeah. But the fact that each room is named and then art is drawn to match that name. I am nuts for that. I I lose this game every single time, but I'm obsessed with it, especially since Brent sent me these awesome inserts for all of my stuff. But also another favorite. Um. But I just get caught up in reading all the names. I'm like, it's a fungus room. And then you see pictures of mushrooms in there. It's a bottomless pit. And this is a big dark. And there's like manacles in the dungeon. And there's this like, there's a secret lair that has like this pipe organ. Of course you need a pipe organ in your secret lair. Of course you need this whiteboard to write all your secret scary ideas. And like, um, there's the nap room that has all these great looking beds in it. I just, you didn't have to do that. They didn't have to do that. They could have just put like symbols for, okay, here this is a food type room, you know, whatever. This is the living room. But no, like they have all this great artwork. It's a pumpkin patch. It's a, that component makes the game 
so deeply interesting for me that I will play this over and over again for the simple fact of playing with rooms. You're right. That is a stretch, but it's fine. <laughs> We're pretty okay. We can do what we want. I mean, I can replace it with about 15 other things right now because you know I love components. <laughs> That's true. No, I I think the, the heart of this list is just things that we really enjoy in games that kind of take them above and beyond just cubes and, you know, tracks and stuff. And I, you, every time we play this game, you love looking at the rooms. I, I, again, I could care less. You could turn the room upside down. I don't really care. But yeah, you do love that. I do. And if you want to fight me on it, fine. But I'm going to name a bunch of honorable man- mentions. Just pick one of those things then. <laughs> All right. So again, I'm, I'm scraping the barrel here. Um, my next one is from a Simon game, and it is an Eric Lang game. Oh, man. Here it what? comes. It's not any of the games that you would think. Nope. But it is Victorian Masterminds, and it's the little gears. Um, so I don't know if you've played this game, but in the game, there are these little gears that you're using as like workers, like cogs is what they look like. And the cogs, they're, they're two-sided, so there's a blank side on the back. And on the other side, it shows your worker and the power, that their special power. So what you're going to do is you're going to put this guy face down on the, the, set, the place you want to go. There's six different locations. You put him face down, and then once there's certain numbers of workers there, you'll flip them over, and then they activate. It's really satisfying to just clink those things down and hold them in your hand. They, they like you know it kind of feels like poker chips a little bit, but they're shaped like cogs, so it has that same kind of tactile feel and like clinky sound. That's really nice. And I I don't know one of my favorite parts of this game is playing with those gears. So had to put it on the list. This is actually the only one that I came up with on my own, I think. <laughs> and that is Victorian Masterminds gears. I really like it. They're fun and kind of unnecessary. It could just be a chit or something, but the gears kind of take it to the next level a little bit. Yeah, I do like it because I think that the the fact that their gears kind of goes with the steampunk theme, but also they are like really tactile in that they remind me of the pieces in Splendor. They're those poker chip like weights. So when you play a piece, you really feel it. And when you shuffle them in your hand, like it there there's weight to it and it feels good to play with those. I, I like them too. I think it's a, a decent pick for you. I'm impressed. Just decent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because my next one's really great. And um, my next one is the balconies in the first edition of Council of Four. The only edition. The best edition. The OG edition. Not the new one with those big fat minis that Simon stuck in there. Because those look like hideous like saint statues. They do look like that. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. But... The old one had these little cardboard balconies that you made, like a little tray, and you fit the little meeples for the council in there. And the best is each end is open, so you can slide a council member in. But that means when you slide a council member in, you knock one out. And that's so satisfying to slide one in and boop, pop somebody out, they fall <sighs> on the ground. I do- yes. Is it necessary? No, obviously not, because Simon made the fat, you know, saint statues version. Right, right. That- for some reason, people like. Um, so, yeah, you can get around it. But, um, gosh, there's just something really satisfying about sliding those little meeples in. The fact they fit in there really well. And then you can see those colors and know what's out there. But also being able to bump people out and have somebody tumble down out of the council is really great. So I love that component. Those balconies in the original Council of Four. Yeah, I would have picked this one, but you beat me to it. Because this, yeah, that is super satisfying. Pushing that guy off the balcony just because you're you're done with him. You've used him up and now he's done and you got to replace him with a person that you like. Yeah, that's really satisfying. I would have let you have this one because I have about 20 more. No, that's fine. And, and, but I think the reason people like the new Simon one is just because it has color. Like uh, the OG ones, like 
tan. <laughs> it's mostly just tan. <laughs> tan and brown. But I like that. But this one also has the balconies. They should have kept the balconies. They really should have. Because those balconies are amazing. I 100% agree with you. Mm-hmm. All right. So my number one. I think I came up with this one on my own, too. Because this is like the greatest component of all time. <laughs> and um, that would go to the dice shaker in the gambler. Or just gambler. I think it's just gambler. The dice maraca. Um, the word. dice maraca. Yeah. So we've talked about gambler till we've been blue in the face. Um, and this dice shaker is looks like a maraca. You're going to shake some dice in it. And then you're going to like trickle them down into this like uh, long section. So they line up. It's completely unnecessary. You could just roll some dice and line them up. But it kind of makes it so you can't do some human intervention on lining them up to try to win your bets and stuff. So maybe it is necessary, but even if it is necessary, it's super great. So the Gambler Dice Shaker, the Dice Maraca, super satisfying to shake. It's really fun. My favorite board game component of all time, and it's from a game from 1977. (laughs) So I like it. I also really love this component. And like the fact that it has the long skinny part and then the circular big round part at the top, like you can hold the end, like it's your little handle and shake them like a little maraca makes a great sound. It is really cool and it suits the game. I mean, you could have done like a dice tower and they would have come down one at a time. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it it could have been done another way, but the dice shaker is just super satisfying. It it totally (laughs) is. So I would be remiss if I didn't talk about favorite game components and bring up like um parks oh my gosh all those components i i love all the different little photographs and i will pick through them and pick out the ones that like match my parks and oh my and i love metal first player marker yeah i don't i actually don't really care for the first player marker i think it could have been better but it has to fit in the box it can't it can't be too big yeah but uh the resources i love that they're the shaped um the trees and the suns and the the water droplets i love the that there's a whole bunch of different types of wild animals for your and and that they're not like it's not like oh the wild animal is all buffalo like no there's a ton of different ones like that's amazing that game has like components that are off the chain i love um so i'll chime in one here i have what Yeah, so it's a component that I absolutely hate, but I know people like it. I think you might like it, and it's that stupid tree from Everdell. Oh, eh. But I do, I, I don't care about the tree. I mean, it's okay, but the other components, like the berries are squishy, and the smooth rocks, um, those components yeah. I do think are really great. Those pebbles are nice. Those are real nice. They are really nice. I also like... Um, Speaking of like little components in wingspan, the eggs are great. I love that. And even like the dice that you roll for resources, they're like thicker and they just, I don't know. They feel really great in your hand when you roll them in the little um, bird feeder that they come out of. I love that component too. It's great. Um, I did love, I did love it until I had to build it. I don't love it now. <laughs> it was tough to build. But it's like really easy now that it's already together. Well, that's true. Yeah. Uh, first player markers. Oh my goodness. Um, my favorite, one of my favorites, I guess, obviously, is Fool's Gold, which is um, a very underappreciated pusher luck game about uh, digging for gold. And the first player marker is this wooden pickaxe, and I'm always like pretending to mine for gold with it every time I'm the first player because that's what I do. <laughs> what about? 
What about Tiny Towns? It has the little hammer. Does that feel the same? I never seem to see that. Like, I don't get that. I feel like the last couple times we played it, it didn't matter who was first person or something. So I never actually got to play with it. Oh. Well, it's, it's essentially the same. It's just not a big X. It's a big hammer. Well, yes. I think next time we play it, I will be hammering a lot with it. But I don't like that game. So. It's not fun. Sorry. That's a big disappointment to me. Um, I didn't design it. It's fine. Okay. Takenoko. Like, uh, stacking those bamboo pieces together to make the t- different heights of the bamboo is so great. And, of course, the adorable panda and, like, the little gardener. I love that. Like, that game has great pieces all around. I mean, I could just look around our game room and name <laughs> game after game that has really great components that I just am nuts over because that's something I really loved. I really love shaped meeples. I really love tactile, sensory. Uh, oh, five tribes. The oasis and the the little, like, I don't know, the casbah. <laughs> what is that? What are the other things called? I think they're palaces. Palaces, yeah. whatever. Those are like thick and the camels are cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm crazy about like little components. Oh, I remember a component that you mentioned. What? Nagaraja. Oh, yeah. Those little, um, the sticks you roll. Yeah, instead of dice. The, the, the Raga Naga sticks or whatever they are. Yeah. Those are. Yeah, those are really fun. Yeah. See, like it's good when they include like fun little components. I love that. I mean, it could have just been dice. <sighs> but it wouldn't have been the same. <laughs> That's true. It would have been easier to explain too. <laughs> Okay, well, I could go on and on and on. I mean, I'm thinking of more as we're just talking, but I really want to know what are your favorite components? Like, what are things that just kind of go above and beyond for you in in a game? Or that they really could have been anything. They could have been cubes. They could have been cardboard sets, but they aren't. What are those things that you just love? And maybe you're like Jason and you don't care about those things. Fine. You can tell me. Give Jason some solidarity. But if you're like me and you love those neat little things, tell me about it. Find us on Facebook. Go to our Facebook page. Ask to join the Riveted. We will let anybody join because we're all pretty okay in there. And that is a great place on the internet. Everyone's awesome. They send me stuff and they're all my favorites. Okay, they're not all my favorites. But right now, Mike and Mark and Wendy are my favorites. (laughs) But if you want to be my favorite, you should join the Riveted. Um, Send us a Facebook message uh tweet us we're on twitter we're on instagram um we have a youtube channel subscribe like jason's always putting out new videos i'm trying to unbox some stuff if you send me something you could be mentioned on our youtube channel (laughs) but you don't have to send me stuff we we have some cool games coming here soon for some unboxings so get ready yeah i'm really excited about that and so we just love to hear from you guys because we're just a, a pretty okay couple just playing board games. And so we, we just lo- like to share it with you guys. So um, find us on any of our social media. Send us an email. Katie at bgmechanics.com. Jason at bgmechanics.com. Yep. Board game mechanics at bgmechanics.com. <laughs> any of those. Contact at bgmechanics.com. Right. Any of those. You can email us. You can message us. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We just love to hear from you guys. So tell us about your favorite necessary or unnecessary unnecessary components. Yeah, I really want to hear from all the people who just (laughs) want to have cubes. I really do. Because I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm out there on an island all by myself. 
playing my boring Marty Wallace games oh my from gosh. 1980, and no one wants to play them with me. They always want to play the pretty games. I play all the games that have cool meeples, like Rogers of the Ganges and stuff like that. I play London, and Rogers the only thing that really is. Oh, the colored dice are really nice in that, and the elephant. But like Dogs of War, I just was thinking about. I love the lady with the big pink hat. Oh, I could go on. We've got to stop. <laughs> we do probably need to stop. <laughs> you can tell that I love this stuff. So you do. I've been Katie, and I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody, especially with those cool things. Keep gaming. Boring, boring, boring tracks, cubes, tracks, cubes. Ah!